0: One common consequence of engaging in non-suicidal self-injury, or NSSI for short, is bearing the physical evidence of the act on one's own skin, evidence that may never disappear. Of course, not all self-injury results in physical scarring, and just because an intentional self-inflicted injury does not result in scarring doesn't mean that it's not serious or any less concerning than those that do. Each one of us resides in our bodies every day of our lives. So what psychological effects can result from daily reminders of one's own decision to self-injure, or of having to respond to unwelcome and inappropriate questions about scars from nosy people? How are scars from NSSI different than physical scars that result from non-self-inflicted wounds or those that are unintentional? And is there an association between non-suicidal self-injury scars and suicidal thoughts and behaviors? And if so, does it matter if scars are newly developed or many years old? To answer these questions and to discuss the mixed relationship that many people who self-injure have with the scars they bear from NSSI, I am joined today from Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School Department of Psychiatry in Boston by Dr. Taylor Burke. Welcome to the Psychology of Self-Injury podcast, a resource for parents, professionals, and people with lived experience. I'm your host, Dr. Nicholas Westers, clinical psychologist at Children's Health, associate professor at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, and chair of the Media and Communications Committee of the International Society for the Study of Self-Injury, or ISSS, or simply i doctor Taylor Burke is an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School and licensed clinical psychologist. She is the Director of Pediatric Computational Health in the Center for Precision Psychiatry and Associate Director of Suicide Research in the Division of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital. The primary aim of her research is to advance the prediction and prevention of self-injurious thoughts and behaviors among youth and young adults. She has published over 70 peer-reviewed articles and book chapters on the topic, and her research has been nationally recognized for its contribution to child and adolescent psychological science, as she has been given the Future Directions Launch Award by the Journal of Clinical Child and Adolescent Psychology, a journal that I find valuable and often reference in my own work. So thank you for joining us on the podcast, Dr. Burke.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: At the beginning of every episode, I like to set the stage and get to know our guest and let our listeners know who we're interviewing and why they got interested in the topic. So how did you first become interested in researching self-injury?
1: Yeah, so I first became interested when looking for a research assistant position. I knew that after college, I wanted to pursue a degree in clinical psychology and was really interested in research and had some experience in different labs, but I wanted to do something a little bit more applied in my research assistant position. And so I found this role as a research assistant at Brown University, where I would be working on a study examining treatment for youth who had attempted suicide. And this was, you know, not a population I had experience working with, but it seemed like such an important area of research. And so I was really drawn to it and I was lucky enough to get that role. And working on the studies, I just became really fascinated by trying to better understand how to predict risk for suicide and really got interested in non-suicidal self-injury as well in working on that study. Because as we know, non-suicidal self-injury is so comorbid with suicidal self-injury and led me to want to dedicate my career in that area and was lucky enough to get accepted to a PhD program with a mentor who was open to me focusing on that in her lab.
0: And I know you've done some publications on the scarring and how individuals with lived experience of self-injury make meaning of their scars, and this is not typically talked a lot about in the field, but I know I have conversations with the young people that I treat about their scarring as well as parents and how they respond to their child's scars. So I really wanted to interview you on this topic and I think a lot of the concerns that young people have, adults as well, but it's a little bit different than non-self-inflicted scars and the experience of those types of scarring. So how is self-injury scarring different or experienced differently at least than other types of scarring like scars that result from non-self-inflicted wounds?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. And actually, I will say that when I, I actually became interested in self-injury scarring as a research assistant, seeing participants in studies bearing such scarring and looking into the research and really seeing so little written about the topic at that time, this was many, many years ago. And so really early, even before I became a graduate student, I started sort of coming up with like these research questions I had about scarring and a lot of those questions were focused on how is it different? You know, obviously there's a lot, a lot that can quickly come to mind about how it's different from other types of scarring, but I had really thought about that a lot. And I think Well, I first want to say that I think that all types of scarring or markings on the human body can have a lot of meaning to those who bear it. So I don't want to discount sort of scarring from any other origin. But I think that self-injury scarring is likely experienced in really unique ways due to like a multitude of reasons, all of which I probably can't even cover today, but sort of the ones that stick out to me, you know, is that we know that self-injury is often engaged in as a way to cope with really aversive internal and or external experiences and engage in moments of like really high emotion often. And so because of the context in which they're engaged in, it's understandable that they hold a lot of meaning to those who bear them. So I think that's one important, really a piece of this. So it's the context in which they occur and the the high emotion associated with the scarring. But then Unfortunately, some of my research has also indicated that self-injury scarring is unfortunately stigmatized, meaning that these marks might be interpreted as physical documentation of a symptom of mental illness by the general public. And unfortunately, we know the general public stigmatizes mental illness in general. And in line with being stigmatized, when something's stigmatized, there's often associated discrimination that occurs. I think that's another reason why self-injury scarring is very unique as compared to other types of scarring. And then when someone's experiencing discrimination and stigmatization, They're much more likely to experience social and emotional and economic effects that have huge implications for lots of areas of one's life. And then another piece of that is that some of my research also, which makes sense, indicates that there's often self-stigma involved with bearing non-suicidal self-injury scarring. What that means is, you know, holding the negative biases about scarring, even among those who hold that scar, you know, who bear that scarring themselves. So those are, I guess, some of the pieces that I think are really unique.
0: So internalizing some of the public stigma and making it themselves and agreeing with the public negative views. Exactly. Exactly. So what are some ways in which people who self-injure view their scars, whether positive, negative?
1: Yeah. So there's such a wide variety. I became really interested in it and and searched the literature to see, you know, is there measure, you know, is there a measurement out there to actually get a sense of what people are thinking about their scars? And I really didn't see anything that had been validated. And so I went through the process of attempting to create a measure to assess the way that people view or think about their scars. And so i created a non-suicidal self-injury scar cognition scale and generated items through sort of pouring through the literature that was out there that of course is limited, but also reading a lot about uh, people's lived experiences with their scarring. And so generated a set of items that I then used in a sample of undergraduates to get a sense of like, what are the most common beliefs and thoughts about one's scarring? And so I learned a lot about it. I think there's a lot more to learn. And this was just an an initial assessment of this scale. It seems like there's, I found sort of five like general domains of thoughts. But again, as I will make sure to say multiple times, it's just, there's a lot left to explore. A lot of individuals seem to possess both negative and positive beliefs about their scarring. The majority actually experience both. And so in terms of some negative ways people view their scars, definitely social related negative beliefs. So thinking that their scarring affects them negatively socially, engenders the experience of shame, embarrassment, and beliefs that other people will judge them for their scarring. So lots of, I would say those negative beliefs are definitely linked to the experience of stigmatization around scarring. Then there's a lot of people who experience their scars as reminders of negative past experiences. I think that this gets back at that point that I made earlier that like scars are off, you know, self-injuries engaged and usually in the context of experiencing really aversive negative emotion. And so it's not surprising then that if one looks at a specific scar, that could take them back to that moment in time, whether it was you know a time where they were experiencing a trauma. A lot of individuals, in my study, I think almost 80% of individuals said that their scars served as these, as these negative physical reminders on their body of these negative experiences. I think that's really important to think about when thinking about the impact of scarring. You have something on your body that brings you back to this negative memory. I also found that some people indicated that their scars made them feel weak, like they had trouble handling stress or that they would have trouble handling stress in the future, made them feel afraid, possibly afraid about what they might do in the future to themselves. And then there was sort of a subset of beliefs around sort of the scars, feelings that the scars make them feel hopeless or stuck. And I think part of that is their permanency right like these scars are for many people permanent and these permanent reminders these permanent indicators of these other negative thoughts that they're having about their scars and then still others to the point where they say their scars make them feel suicidal which i thought was particularly interesting because we know there's such a strong link between non suicidal self injury and future uh, suicidal self injury and so hearing people actually you know explicitly link the two I think is interesting just imp- important for us to think about in terms of understanding the impact of scarring. And then on the other side, definitely many people who also hold positive beliefs at the same time, beliefs that their scars make them realize how strong they've been in the past emotionally um, or physically, that they make them feel proud that they got through a tough time. So maybe it's a reminder of how they persisted through a time that was really hard and especially for those who are on a recovery journey, I think the scarring can sort of show or be evidence that they have persisted and they're on the other side of this journey. And others indicate that it makes them feel tough, that they know that they were able to get through something that was hard. And this is like a physical reminder of how, how tough and strong that they've been.
0: You mentioned suicidal thoughts when people look at some other scars that some people experience suicidal thoughts. is self-injury scarring associated significantly with suicidal thoughts or even suicide attempts?
1: Yeah, so that question remains to be answered in a really strong empirical way. I have conducted research that has looked at the associations of the cross-sectional correlation between scarring and suicidal ideation and suicidal behavior, and I have seen a connection that way that there has not been the research prospectively. So I really want to like caution before I get into what I did find, but I'll also say that I am currently conducting prospective research to get a better sense of whether not only the scarring, frequency of scarring and other characteristics of scarring might be prospectively predictive of suicidal ideation behavior, but also do the thoughts about one's scarring and other behaviors around one's scarring also predict in the future. So going to put that out there first, but my cross-sectional research does show that there is a link between scarring and suicide risk. And so found that both the presence of scarring, so having any scarring and also the amount, the number of scarring um, is associated with suicidal ideation and suicide attempt history, even after controlling for depressive symptoms. But I also found that Scar presence and number predicts suicidal ideation after taking into account suicide attempt history and non-suicidal self-injury frequency method and medical severity, which I think sort of shows that it's likely an indicator of NSSI severity that has a unique association with suicidal ideation and behavior.
0: Yeah, it's really sad to think about how the public stigma and discrimination that people might have toward anyone with scarring, whether it's Mm self-inflicted or otherwise, to judge people with these scars as if they're proud of them necessarily. And then here we hear how the greater number of scars can be an indicator of severity and suicidal thoughts.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I don't ever recall talking to anyone who that's their goal at the outset is to cause scarring.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that there are people with that goal with everything related to self-injury. I think there's just so many yeah. reasons for engaging in self-injury. I you know, I would say there's probably a pretty small proportion of people yeah. with that goal. Yeah,
0: that's fair. Yeah, there are probably individuals with that goal.
1: Especially if we think about there are some people who engage in self-injury to be able to have a physical marking that sort of shows the pain they are experiencing internally. And so for those people, having the marking could potentially Validate that emo- emotional experience.
0: Excellent point. Yeah.
1: I haven't personally met someone who experienced the desire to cause the scarring, but I can conceptually understand it.
0: Yeah. And I would wonder too if they had an alternative way that they perceived could communicate the same, they might opt for that as opposed to.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and especially like just given the public stigma out there. Um, and even if someone had that initial intention. Mm-hmm. That might change when they sort of experience some of the public stigma associated with bearing it.
0: If you could tell us a little bit more about what the relationship is between one's own thoughts about their self-injury scars and their likelihood of continuing to self-injure or mm-hmm. actually decide to stop. Is there a relationship about how they think about their own scarring that increases their likelihood of continuing versus stopping?
1: Yeah. So in my own research, I found that those negative views and beliefs that I outlined, most of those negative views were associated with current distress. So, current depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, and some of those even with current suicidal ideation. So, I think that for individuals who possess those sort of strong negative beliefs about their scars, I, I think that it can make them feel those aversive emotions that can then trigger engagement in non-suicidal self-injury. And so you can see it as this sort of vicious cycle where like one engages in self-injury, it leaves a scar, the scar itself creates a negative emotional experience, which then leads to more self-injury. And so I haven't looked at the cognitions themselves predicting greater likelihood of engagement. I do know that, you know, there's a study by Bachtel and Pepper, which was forget, I think that was in 2015. It was like a a study that came out while I was conducting one of my studies. And they had reported that those who experienced more like scar-related shame reported a greater likelihood of engaging in future NSSI. So that was also cross-sectional, but was a, a finding that gets at that question you asked.
0: How much does it matter if the scar is a recent one versus a scar that's been present for a longer period of time?
1: I was really interested in the extent to which individuals hold or think about their scarring and think about them in negative and positive ways for people who are currently engaging versus people who have stopped and remitted. And what I found is that people who stopped and remitted still experience a lot of these thoughts and negative and positive beliefs about their scars. So I thought... Wow, like it's really important to be asking about this, even to people who have stopped, even years ago. So I I think that that's interesting. But I also found that there was, um, when I looked at the association between these different scar cognitions and current distress, recency of self-injury didn't moderate the association. Meaning that it didn't matter if you had engaged recently, if you were holding these negative beliefs, you were more likely to experience this negative, this distress in the moment. So again, more evidence that we should be asking even people who have no recent history at all of self-injury or even no risk about these experiences.
0: And I like that you point out that people have mixed feelings about their own Mm self-injury scarring because some... As they develop their identity or try to become accustomed to them may find freedom in being able to wear shorts or short sleeve shirts or a bikini or mm-hmm. swimming trunks. And it's really important in their, I guess, recovery or their ability to resist urges and, and just their journey. Yeah others, on the other hand, feel that shame and feel that stigma heavy. And so we have people that may exhibit openly their scars and then others that may conceal them. So for those who are self-conscious of their self-injury scars Mm -hmm. and do choose to conceal them from other people, Mm -hmm. such as by wearing long sleeves, avoiding going to the beach, wearing a swimsuit, Mm -hmm. do they have a greater risk for depression, anxiety, self-injury urges, or even suicidal thoughts compared to those who choose not to conceal their scars?
1: Yes. And that's a a really good question. I was really interested in the concealment piece for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons was when I saw that so many individuals experience their scars as these reminders of these past negative experiences, I was actually interested in, are those people concealing them even for themselves, not even thinking about the public? Like, are are they actually concealing them so they don't have to have this reminder, you know, staring at them that it's right on their bodies. But at the same time, also really interested in those who conceal from others and in the general, like in the more general stigmatization literature, there is evidence that shows that hiding one stigmatized identity is associated with negative, with like with more depression and anxiety, etc. So I conducted a study to really look at this and found that. Just like you know, you might imagine those who do conceal their scarring from others are more likely to be experiencing depressive and anxiety symptoms and have more recent NSSI urges. That seemed to be the case across the board in terms of concealing one's scars from oneself. I found those same associations between concealing scarring from others, except for the association with recent non-suicidal self-injury
0: this ties really closely into episode 25 with Dr. Katherine mm-hmm. Gardner in the UK on self-injury location if people chose mm-hmm. to self-injure in areas that are typically more concealed than others that are typically less able to be concealed
1: mm-hmm.
0: and she had a lot of really interesting information to share about that so for listeners that are want to hear more about that with Dr. Gardner in episode 25
1: yeah i i mean i actually want to listen to that episode as <laughs> well thank you for thank you for pointing that out to me i will definitely prioritize
0: doing that and it really strikes me when you're talking about hiding the scarring from oneself i mean to refrain and avoid looking in the mirror because of that or to Mm -hmm. refrain from looking down at previous wound or that's now scarred is that's a tough way to live because we're stuck with ourselves with that lack of acceptance i imagine it would be related to increased anxiety depression and maybe even additional urges to self-injury because of the distress that they cause
1: Absolutely. And it really made me like think about the PTSD literature about like those who are engaging in more avoidance of the reminders of their trauma are more likely to be experiencing greater negative symptomatology over time. That, that avoidance ends up being a mechanism for maintenance of symptoms. And so I'm really interested in you know what we can apply from the PTSD literature here sort of a future direction of mine to go into, whether doing exposures related to one's own scarring for those who conceal and avoid could be helpful.
0: Mm. That'll be a great study. In fact, we may have an upcoming episode on PTSD and self-injury. So that's very okay. relevant to <laughs> Yeah,
1: I would be interested in um, asking that researcher if they've had thoughts about yeah. this and whether they yeah. are looking at that link.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned that you developed and published this psychological measure called the Non-Suicidal Self-Injury Scar Cognition Scale. Mm -hmm. Cognition, for people listening, is a a fancy way for thought. Mm -hmm. Why do you you believe it's important to have a measure like this other than the research that you just did? And how, how can it be used effectively maybe in additional research or clinical work?
1: Yeah. So I think it's really important in general like to understand how people relate to their own self-injury history. And I think that it's important to have a measure that that's validated so that we can actually then sort of compare individuals' experiences to what extent are, are they experiencing a certain thought or belief more so than others and, and really just basically helping an assessment. And if we can get a good assessment of how people are thinking and viewing their scars and we know that those beliefs and feelings are then associated with symptoms that can really help to inform treatment planning clinically and i think that if like for example someone were to indicate that they experienced a lot of the the sort of reminder related thoughts that their scars are these reminders of negative experiences that might really guide treatment for an individual and additionally, we need to have a, a validated scale so we can determine which of these cognitions might be risk factors for future negative outcomes versus protective factors. As I had mentioned, I am looking conducting a study to look at whether the experiences of each of these cognitions are protective or risk factors for future self-injury over time.
0: Do you have any hypotheses about what might be some protective factors?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think that the experience of some of these positive cognitions, I think, could be protective. But there's caveats to that too, because I do think that there is likely a balance, right? Because if one has, is experiencing like just the positive cognitions about their scarring, it's possible that there's more reinforcement around that scarring. And so I really think at this point, it's pretty exploratory. I do think that people who are experiencing a lot of shame around their scars are likely more likely to be experiencing greater self-injury over time. Mm. Okay. Just based on other research in other areas.
0: Well, you've alluded to exposure exercises potentially. Mm-hmm. What other types of therapy and or treatment do you believe should be used in addressing self-injury scarring? And could you walk us through a couple of specific examples of how this might play out in the therapy room, the therapy context?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the first one that comes to mind is cognitive behavioral therapy. So identifying the automatic thoughts that individuals have about their scars and helping people to evaluate their thoughts, the accuracy of those thoughts, and hopefully engage in reappraisal of of their thoughts around their scars. Cognitive restructuring techniques could, I think, be really helpful in guiding people to have more balanced beliefs regarding their self-injury and present scarring and for example, rather than, you know, for people who are really just experiencing those negative shame related thoughts, helping them to reappraise those scars as like part of their journey and to how they've gotten where they are now. And hopefully like through therapy, there is recovery. And so helping individuals to start to think about their scars as part of like a, their journey to where they are. I think CBT has a really could have a really big role in that. And then I also like to pull from acceptance and commitment therapy. I think that when we're thinking about scarring, scarring is often permanent. That's not always the case, you know, and there are I know that there are individuals who pursue ways to remove scarring. But when we think about acceptance and commitment therapy, it would sort of accepting the presence of scarring, accepting that this is, was part of one's journey, that this is a part on one's body and then really working around values about how one wants to be living their life and helping individuals to sort of like incorporate their scarring and their history of self injury within like their larger sort of value directed path
0: sounds like very similar strategies that could be used for accidental or non-self-inflicted scarring.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're, I think you're very right there. And then as I had mentioned before, I'm really interested in that the idea for those who are concealing and who feel very shameful about the scars to be talking about them more, right? Like for people who don't want to, who are avoiding them, they may, may not want to talk about them, they don't want to look at them having to be a topic in therapy where they really explore their thoughts and feelings around their scars where it, where it's brought to the forefront i think that even just exploring them in therapy can help break the cycle of avoidance i think that that just engaging in therapy around scarring even just you know having the, the supportive framework of exploring one's thoughts and feelings could really help
0: These are conversations that I have with those that I treat that have self injurious wounds and scars, where Mm. I take that respectful curiosity and I Mm. acknowledge well, there may be some positive thoughts and feelings related to it, there may be some negative thoughts and feelings. Yeah. How do you make sense of your scar? And, and usually, it is similar to what you're saying—is like these mixed feelings or or thoughts and <laughs> yeah. perspective of ambivalence. I don't like them, but I also don't want to be ashamed of them. And so it's along that journey that I've gotten to witness—I've had the honor of witnessing some healing occur internally.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's so great that you actively pursue that conversation. I think that it unfortunately seems to be pretty rare that therapists, psychologists bring up that topic themselves. And I think that a lot of times clients, patients are worried about bringing it up. And I think it goes for asking about self-injury in general. Like, don't be afraid to ask people about this experience. Same thing with scarring. I think that like, there are therapists that, you know, have become more comfortable with asking about self-injury, but it seems like scarring Either it's like there's just less of an understanding and knowledge around the importance and or there's anxiety even, you know, within the therapist about asking that question.
0: I think when I ask, it's usually in the process where the individual has already Mm -hmm. made it their goal to stop self-injuring and or has stopped for a little while Mm -hmm. then they may show up to session in shorts and a t-shirt and bear some scars or maybe talking about going to the beach and then I might just use that as an an opportunity oh Mm -hmm. you know you've mentioned before that your mom had expressed some concern about you wearing short sleeves in public what are your thoughts on that and usually they're not positive thoughts about you know because that's a, a stigmatization that the parents might have as you know stigma but I find that those conversations are really fruitful and being able to walk along their journey and how they make sense of them and and offer no shame because some are permanent. And like you said, with the acceptance and commitment therapy, can we not necessarily embrace or love them, but can we accept them?
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I like what you said. It sounds like you have been able to come up with really natural ways of bringing them up and exploring them. But I would actually say that even earlier in therapy or even when someone's still actively engaging, I think that approaching it with this, a curious sort of in my reading about self-injury, like meaning or experience with self-injury, I know that a lot of people, their scars hold a lot of meaning to them. Does that resound with you? Mm-hmm. And if so, I'd really like to hear about that and just opening up the conversation in a curious way, because it's possible that there are beliefs or behaviors related to scarring that could be maintaining mm. their self-injury that might be preventing them from getting to a point of having the goal to stop.
0: I agree. Yeah. Asking it earlier on in therapy Mm -hmm. can be great. And other times I I have found myself asking after someone had self-injured, maybe more intensely or deeply or severely than intended. And they required medical care. I'm like, all right, I see you're covering it up now with these, fashion sleeves to cover up Mm -hmm. the scarring, they're going to be there. And then Mm -hmm. starting the conversation about their thoughts and feelings related to that. But I do like that you bring it back to the possibility of the scars reinforcing the behavior. So it may be very necessary early in treatment to talk about that.
1: Exactly. There are some individuals who indicate that seeing their scars, touching them, feeling them can trigger the urge, Mm -hmm. right? So for those individuals it could be worth exploring temporarily covering them while they're attempting to not experience that urge, right? So like, I do think that concealment can potentially be protective for some people and maybe not, you know, over the long-term, but over the short-term.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes concealment can have, it has utility, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's definitely not like a one-size-fits-all to any of this, but it's worth it and really just understanding how it operates for an individual.
0: And I've known some to actually get tattoos to cover their scars, uh, not mm-hmm. only to just to cover them to prevent their urges, but to prevent them mm-hmm. from self-injuring on their...
1: On their tattooed their area. Tat-
0: yeah, their beautiful tattooed yeah. area. And so that has been part of some individual's recovery and journey as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: To summarize, how would you mm-hmm. describe really, I guess, the... I'm putting in quotation marks here with my fingers. How do you describe the psychology of self-injury scarring?
1: I would say that, I guess to put it in a simple way, I guess the the study of or the understanding of the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors associated with bearing scarring secondary to self-injury. Yeah, I think that broad, that cover. it's a pretty broad question. I think I wanted to keep that broad so okay. that it can apply to the many topics we've already talked about today.
0: Yeah, I wasn't sure how that question would fall. I just like, I like it because it helps us think through that scars have a role too within the process yeah. of self-injury and recovery as well. So bringing everything together, thinking about our conversation about scarring and self-injury. What would you recommend to parents? I get I actually just spoke to a group of parents a couple of weeks ago who talked about the scarring in their child and their concern about their future, maybe for work, for employment. I know that some parents worry that their child's scars will negatively affect their prospects of getting certain jobs or maybe that their child will have greater difficulty in intimate romantic mm-hmm. relationships. So what would you recommend to parents?
1: Yeah, this is a really really tough question. But one that I've thought a lot about. And I think, I guess, just first and foremost, I would recommend that parents approach any conversation about self injury with their kids in the most non judgmental and open and loving way possible. We know that it's very likely that their kids are already experiencing a lot of shame around their scarring. And so it's more important than ever for parents to approach it without piling on more of that shame. And so I also think it's important that parents avoid assuming how their children feel about their scarring because of what I outlined, that there's just so many different ways people might experience, view, feel about their scars. And really important not to project their own fears about their children scarring onto their children. I think all of that is much easier said than done because finding out that your child's self-injuring and then also noticing that they have this permanent scar is un- could- unbelievably distressing to parents. And parents just want their children to have the easiest lives possible. And knowing that there's something that is on your child's body that could make their life harder can be ex- excruciating for a parent. But I still think If it feels like it would be really hard to have that type of open, non-judgmental conversation, seeking your own support and therapy around like, how will you get to a place that will allow you to have it? And until then, waiting to have that conversation. Because again, I I really, I think we want to keep the parent-child relationship around self-injury, like not adding on to the distress associated with the self-injury and with the scarring that will likely already be there. That's one piece. I also think that if your child, if you're able to approach it in an open, curious way and ask, what are your fears around, or or, do you have fears around your scarring, or what are your beliefs around it? And the child says that they are not worried about it, or they're not thinking that far into the future. Maybe it's not the right time to approach that conversation. And then approaching and trying to understand what why they feel that way, I think would be really important. But if they are saying that they're also worried about how it will affect their friendships, getting a job, their intimate relationships, then I think it could be really, really helpful to sort of join your child on that journey about how they want to approach it in these different relationships, because there's no one right way to approach it. And Brooke Ammerman does a lot on disclosure. I think there's a lot to learn around how to have these disclosures within an intimate romantic relationships and friendships that could apply here. But I would also just suggest seeking therapy if it is distressing for a child to help to, co- to get a, an outside perspective on coaching on how to manage relationships and disclosures around scoring.
0: That's great. Yeah. And Dr. Brooke Ammerman, we interviewed for episode seven. So for people mm-hmm. that want to go back and hear what she has to say and what she talks about in relation to her research and advice. One more question related to parents. Yeah. Let's say that a younger sibling asks about their older siblings scars or even wounds that may have not yet turned into scars. How should parents respond to that, to their younger sibling?
1: Yeah. I think that's another question where there's absolutely no one size fits all. I think it would depend on some considerations that just come to mind are how old is that younger sibling? Does the older sibling want to share this information with other members of the family or is this private to them? What are their intentions? And because we obviously want to really try to respect the privacy of the individual who has engaged in self-injury. And then also, what are the family values around privacy, mental health, etc. I think families are very different. So thinking about all of those things, I also would really want to think about the potential negative implications of secrecy and the, the younger sibling knowing that they're being lied to, and then they're becoming more curious and attempting to look, look further into it themselves. I'd also be thinking, we do know that there there's some evidence of the social contagion So knowing about self-injury and how one engages in self-injury can potentially put a younger person at risk. So we also have to weigh that. I would say that this wouldn't be an easy decision, but you need to think about all of those considerations. Yeah,
0: privacy, stigmatization, reinforcement, or social modeling of the behavior that could increase the likelihood of the sibling. Yeah, so many things to consider there. And I know some parents like to be like, oh, I just like to be open and honest with all my kids. Well, there's a way to be open and honest without including all the details.
1: Exactly. And thinking about like a developmentally appropriate way of gleaning something. Exactly. Also, I think depending on the age of Your child that has engaged in self-injury, like including them on this conversation. I I really think that giving them autonomy as well is important.
0: Based on our conversation today about the psychology of self-injury scarring, what would you recommend to professionals, other researchers, clinicians?
1: I think we hit upon a little bit of this with clinicians, but definitely clinicians should strongly consider assessing for non-suicidal self-injury scarring and concealment practices and thoughts about one's scarring, when obtaining a history of self-injury, this information might provide more insights into an individual's current risk level, their psychological distress. And so I've definitely encouraged clinicians to do that. And then with researchers, some of my research has shown that scarring might be a particularly important indicator of self-injury severity and might also in and of themselves contribute to greater risk for future suicidal behavior. And so I just would encourage researchers when they're assessing history of non-suicidal self-injury to also assess scarring to help us to get more of an understanding because it's not being assessed enough for us to like see um, its role.
0: And based on our conversation today about the psychology of self injury scarring, what would you recommend to people with lived experience of self injury?
1: I feel like it would be really helpful to potentially read other people's experiences about their own experiences with self injury scarring to normalize that there are so many ways of thinking about one's scarring and that they might experience both positive and negative beliefs and that would be natural and that these beliefs might change over time. I'd recommend that if they are experiencing just any distress related to their self-injury scarring to seek therapy, to process these thoughts and beliefs and to specifically look for a therapist who has experience treating individuals with a history of self-injury. They might be more likely to be able to have these conversations and if you end up in a therapeutic relationship where it doesn't feel safe to talk about these topics, to keep looking for a better match, because there are those therapists out there that will really help you to process your your thoughts and beliefs around your scarring. And I just always like to remind, you know, anyone seeking therapy that it's something that require, can require a lot of persistence with to find a really good match.
0: I agree. Well, a very important topic, very fascinating for sure, the psychology of self-injury, scarring. Thank you, Dr. Burke, for sharing about your research and giving your recommendations. I think this is a fascinating and interesting episode. So thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great meeting you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Psychology of Self-Injury podcast. If you have found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and please help others find us by giving us a five-star rating, writing a positive review, and or telling your friends and colleagues. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes, including one in which we discuss the evolution of self-injury treatment over the years that will likely include another book giveaway. It is not considered therapy or meant to be a replacement for therapy, so if you or someone you love is in crisis and needs to talk to someone, you can reach out to the Crisis Text Line, a global not-for-profit organization providing free mental health texting service through confidential crisis intervention by texting HOME to 741741. For all things psychology, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Doc Westers. For all things self-injury, follow I Triple S on Facebook and Twitter at I-T-R-I-P-L-E-S. I'm Dr. Nicholas Westers. Thank you for listening to The Psychology of Self-Injury.